I was on the way back from the hospital and I called Belichick. I'm like, hey, just want to let you know, I got clearance, I'm good. He's like, oh, well, good, I'm glad you're doing better. We'll see you when you get back. I'm like, oh, shit, that didn't sound very good. <laughs> hey, everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another edition of Half Forgotten History. Glad to be with you through season four. Our next guest is someone who had his dream sort of taken away from him, as football can do, and not only was it taken away, he had to watch the man who replaced him become the greatest thing football has ever seen. I'm talking about, of course, Drew Bledsoe, who was a very successful Pro Bowl quarterback for the New England Patriots, only to have a horrific injury that almost took his life in a football game and watch Tom Brady trot onto the field in 2001, early in that year, and simply go on to become the TB12 that we know now. How he dealt with the injury, how he dealt with watching Brady rise, and how he dealt with trying to find his career after Brady and after football. I'll make a very entertaining episode with Drew Bledsoe. Enjoy. First of all, thanks for doing this, but let's start here. I was this many days old when I realized your middle name was McQueen. Yeah, yeah, yes. Old family name. It's not like Steve McQueen or uh, any of that. It's an old, old family name on my dad's side. And we uh, we didn't do the whole thing like with, you know, Drew, you know, Junior and somebody the third. But we carried the McQueen thing all the way down from my, uh, I think I met my great-great-grandfather, Albert McQueen. And then uh, we've got one son whose name is McQueen. Now we've got a McQueen vineyard, too. So we're uh, we're kind of carrying the whole thing through. I, I thought, I mean, I, I was assuming it was a family name, but I thought it would be a really excellent story for like, yeah, my mom and dad just really love Steve McQueen, man. They yeah. thought he was the coolest guy in the world. I might have to go with that, actually. I mean, because, you know, we're in marketing after all, right? We don't have to tell <laughs> the truth, right? So, yeah, the mom... Mom dated Steve McQueen for a little while in college and was truly her uh, first love. And uh, my dad was okay with it. So, yeah, we'll make up some bullshit like that. It'll be fun. That's terrific. And now that you said that, I do have to tell my story. My mom actually did win a date with Elvis Presley. Oh, come on. But this was in the fifth. No, no, it's a true story. This was in the 50s and she wasn't at the house. So, like, hey, Elvis is coming by in like an hour. And. She didn't show up, so she never got to go on a date, which is a which is a good thing because that might have ended poorly for me as a you know a, a being on the planet had they actually you know gone on the date. Yeah, isn't that funny, man? I've had some of those conversations with my folks about you know, dad dated this gal in college for about uh, geez, about like I don't know a month. Uh, my he and my mom broke up, and this gal she did something to piss him off. Otherwise, he wouldn't have got back together with my mom. And then you know, who knows, man? I don't exist. So pretty funny, right? Exactly. So, so I'm glad both of those things worked out for both of us. Uh, um, but, you know, it's funny. I was just going back and looking at some stuff. And one of the things I always remembered about you when you were drafted no, number one overall in 1993 is that you you made sure everybody knew who you were right away. You know, the draft is such a fashion show now with these people come up with these suits and all this kind of stuff. You showed up jeans, red polo, button-down shirt, and a baseball cap. I'm, like, I'm a kid from Walla Walla, Washington, man. This is who I am. Well, the, tr the truth is, Trey, I didn't have any other options. I didn't own a suit at that point. You know, I mean, growing up in Walla Walla, Washington, <laughs> and then going to school in Pullman, you know, and thankfully I didn't have to go to court as the defendant. So I never owned – I didn't even own a suit <laughs> at that point. Um Plus, you know, I, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I wore my, uh, you know, I got finally got some free Nike sneakers. So I was like, oh, I'll go ahead and wear my Nike sneakers up here. And yeah, I'm, I'm maybe the only and certainly the last, uh, you know, number one overall pick to not wear a suit. 
Yeah, it's, it's just so striking now because the draft has become such an event, right? Yeah. It, it, it's still the same thing. It's just been amplified in every possible way. It's almost like, hey, that looked like it was more comfortable. Yeah, well, it was kind of funny, though, because as you say, it was a much smaller deal, but it was still kind of a thing. You know, we went back to New York. Matter of fact, yeah. it was the first time that uh, my family, I just had the one brother, it was the first time that our family, all four of us, flew on an airplane together uh, was when we went to New York City for the Get draft. My parents were both school teachers. We, we did all kinds of cool stuff and vacations, yeah. but we were always in a station wagon, not on an airplane. Uh, but the funny thing was I'm back, I'm backstage, you know, kind of sitting in the green room with a couple guys and, uh, you know, my folks there, my brother's there. Well, it happened so fast. You know, they started the draft and next thing you know, Tagliabue's up there and says, number one overall pick from Washington State, Drew Bledsoe. And, and so I turn and my mom's looking around like she doesn't know what happened. And my dad's trying to get the video camera uh, off his hand. So I ended up hugging Lee Steinberg, <laughs> who was my agent at the time. You know, like of all things, you know, this major moment in my life. And I end up hugging my agent that I'd known for about two weeks. Well, listen, he was everybody's uh, quarterback's agent back in the day. There, there was a run where Lee literally had everyone of prominence uh, as quarterbacks in the NFL. And obviously he's got Patrick Mahomes now, so he's still he's still doing okay. What, what was your thought process running up to the draft? Because it was one of those years where it seems like it's every year now where the quarterbacks are going to go one and two. It wasn't that common back in 1993. Um, did, did you feel pretty strongly that you were going to go number one? Well, it was me and Rick Meyer, who's still a great, great buddy, um, yeah. also in the wine business, uh, by the way, making some – I mean, if you have to drink Napa wine, you know, you should drink Rick stuff. He's actually doing a really nice <laughs> job. Um, and we were kind of the consensus top two quarterbacks in the draft. But Parcells was would always play his cards really tight, so we didn't know. We felt like yeah. it was probably, but he didn't say, like it, like all the other you know number one overall picks you know for the previous five or six years already had their contract negotiated before the draft hit. Right. Uh, but Parcells played it really tight. Didn't uh, want anybody to know until until actually that moment. Um, but it was just one of those uh, it was one of those drafts though where the, both the Patriots and the Seahawks who had the, the number two pick. Uh, they needed quarterbacks. So, uh, you know, it was kind of obvious that Rick and I were going to go one and two. We just didn't know exactly which way it was going to fall. So when did you get, like, when did you know? Like, I'm assuming before the pick, right? No, I knew I, I I knew at the same time everybody else did when Tagliabue made the announcement. That's, really? that's what I knew. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't, I, I, yeah, we thought we knew, but we didn't know. We, I mean, it was, you know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't going to be a long day because, you know, it was going to fall all the way to two. Uh, but you know, it was like, but, but, but it was like, uh, but it was one of those deals. No, we didn't know for sure whether I was going to be a Patriot or a Seahawk, uh, until the moment that, uh, that the commissioner made the announcement. So I guess as a kid from Washington, was there a pull for you to want to go to Seattle or were you looking to get out and go somewhere else? Oh, I wanted to, I, initially before the draft, I wanted to be close to home. You know, I mean, shoot, man, I'm a small town kid and you know, you don't want to go across the country. I don't know what that's like back there. Um, but in retrospect, it was, it was outstanding, you know, because, you know, you remember, I mean, you know, we're old, right? So this was like pre-internet. Yeah. Uh, and so, right. and so, you know, it was honestly, it was like this, uh, it was really cool because, you know, I was 3000 miles away. So my friends and family back home, all they saw were highlights, yep. you know, they couldn't go read, you know, about, you know, the, the interceptions I threw or what, you know, <laughs> they couldn't go read some you know, some uh, blog or some tweet or, or something like these kids have to deal with today. Um, so then after the season, I could come home and I could just sort of be normal when I came back home. Um, plus, it was just cool. It took it was a huge adjustment going from, you know, small town Washington into probably the craziest sports town in the United States uh, in Boston. 
Yeah. Um, it was quite an adjustment. You know, in the West, you know, you can go up out West. You know, we play sports, we like sports, but it's just sort of a pastime. And if your team wins or loses, it doesn't really affect the rest of your day, let alone the rest of your week. You get to Boston and you discover that this is like a religion and people live and breathe this stuff. Yeah. And uh, so it was, uh, it was eye-opening for sure. Uh, but it was ultimately, it was a lot of fun. This is weird for people to think of now because of what the Patriots have become outside of this past season. You know, arguably the greatest run on you know, dynastic qualities any franchise has had in the NFL. But, you know, you had the Celtics that won a lot. You had the Red Sox who hadn't won but were still beloved. And the Patriots were playing in that crappy stadium way outside of town. They were sort of an afterthought in the, uh, you know, in the pantheon of Boston sports at that time. Oh, for sure, man. You know, the Patriots were definitely number four in that market. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and it wasn't close, right. you know, you got the Celtics Bruins and then the Red Sox are, you know, I mean, with all the success that the Patriots have had, you know, they might be all the way up to second behind, yeah, behind the Red Sox now. Uh, but you know, it, 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 yeah, no, the Patriots were definitely an afterthought. Um, you know, it was one of those places that, uh, you know, prior to, um, prior to what we got going, you know, it was one of those places you could show up and buy a ticket at the gate and walk in and sit awfully close to the field um for you know <laughs> you know 15 or 20 bucks um obviously it's changed pretty radically now well i always when people say oh, i've been a patriots fan my whole life i say give me the name of five patriots before drew bledsoe and if they can't do it i'm like you're just a bandwagon jumper oh, you're, yeah you're yeah. on because of the success you haven't been there through the scott sissons and the andre tippets and everybody else that goes back all that time i always ask what year if they say well you know if it's yeah. anything after 01 they're like yeah no you're not a real fan you're not a real fan. You don't, you didn't earn the you didn't earn the right to cheer for the Patriots right. if you uh, if you started uh, in 01 or later um, when you know they're at least you know in the AFC Championship game every single year. Um, you know, no. If you're really going to call yourself a true fan, you had to have started back when uh, you know things weren't good. Um, and those people are rare. It was, it was <laughs> awful. Yeah, they 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 they're they're not many of them, but everybody up there now claims to be a lifelong uh, Patriot fan. So yeah. for you, for people that also don't understand, like Belichick was a Bill Parcells protege. So like Bill Parcells was Belichick before Belichick. So what was your initial reaction and in meeting with Bill? What was that like? So the first time I met Parcells was actually at the combine, um, and uh, I went up to his hotel room, and it was just the two of us. You know, and I, I walk in and, and you know, Rick, I, I turned 21 at the scouting combine. So I was, I was a young kid. Crazy. When you walk in and it, you know, and he really had this persona that, that, you know, was, was real. And then I think he also really enjoyed playing it up too, where he was like the godfather. No question. You know, and so you yeah. walk in and, uh, you know, and he was, you know, he was kind, but, you know, you did kind of feel like you were meeting like, um, you know, some, you know, mafia Don, you know, at that point. And it's just the two of us in the room. We're like, dude, I hope I don't get killed. Um, I hope I answer the questions right. Otherwise, I'm going to be buried under a building or something. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, he was an intimidating guy. And, and uh, um, but, you know, apparently the interview went well enough because he, he did ultimately pull the trigger and, and, uh, and draft me. And then, uh, you know, and then I was dumb enough to go play for him again in Dallas, which just shows I'm just not very intelligent. But, yeah. but, but, uh, but, you know, but uh, Belichick, people forget that, that uh, in um, uh, 96, when we went to the, to the Super Bowl against the Packers, uh, it was right after Belichick had gotten, got, gotten fired um, uh, by the Browns. Well, he came back and he was, yep. uh, he was on that staff as well before they left and went down to, uh, to the dark side and went down to the Jets. Um, so, you know, he, he was, uh, Belichick was a part of, 
you know, all but one Super Bowl appearance, uh, you know, the, except for the uh, Grogan, you know, uh, Super Bowl against the Bears. Uh, Belichick was a part of all of them. Super Bowl 20, 46 to 10, the final score, as the Bears just decimated uh, that, that Patriots team. So, you know, everyone has their moment, right, when they realize, hey, I think I'm going to be good at this. And mm-hmm. you played okay your, your rookie year, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people look to, what is it, week three or week four uh, of your second year, and you guys were down to the Vikings at the half, what, 20 to three, and you come back to win that game in overtime, 26 to 20. And at that time, you set a record, most completions and most attempts in a game, 45 and 70. Like a lot of people would have, who have watched your career would have said, oh, that was the moment where we thought, okay, this guy's going to be good. Was that the moment for you, or was it something before that? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. So my rookie year, I started the first um, eleven games, and we were, or excuse me, started the first. Sorry, started started the first like first like seven or eight, and we were we hadn't won a game. We were awful. And then uh, you know, I got uh, I got hurt, sprained my knee, and I actually had to go sit for a couple of games. Um, which is something that I really had never done except for, you know, um, like the first five games of my freshman year of college, you know, outside of that, I'd never stood on the sidelines for more than, you know, mop up time. Um, and that really helped after jumping in and being in the middle of the fire and then stepping back and watching somebody else play for a second and, you know, kind of taking a breath. And then that year we, uh, um, we ended up winning in the last four games of that season. We were one in 11 and we won our last four, right. uh, including knocking the dolphins out of the playoffs on the very last, uh, very last play of the, uh, of the season, which, you know, that was sort of our playoff game. But when I came back in and had had time to kind of step back and reflect a little bit, and then, um, you know, played those last four games, it, it had started to slow down then. Uh, you know, you hear all the quarterbacks talk about the game slows down, which just means that your understanding right. speeds up. Uh, but the perception is that the game is a little bit slower and it had started to slow down at that point. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that next season, um, you know, we started off the first two, first two games, uh, with the, the, uh, dolphins and the bills and, uh, you know, I mean, I had big numbers, lots of touchdowns and, uh, but we were still Oh, and two, um, and, uh, you know, it just, we were sort of one of those you know, one of those teams at that point, which was so contrary to every other Bill Parcells team that you never thought about because we were a kind of an aerial circus and didn't play any defense for a while, yep. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. um, that's not, that's never a great recipe, uh, especially back then. Uh, but then when we, uh, when we were able to come back against the Vikings, um, you know, and, and uh, won our, we won that game in the next six to sneak into the playoffs. Um, that's when it looked like, okay, maybe something was, was, was going to be good here. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've always remembered that game as like Bill Parcells understanding, hey, this is what we have, this is what we have to win. Because you're right, the two Super Bowls he won with the Giants, they were going to pound the rock and they were going to play suffocating defense. That's who they were. And I'm like, Bill Parcells is throwing it 70 times. He understands this is the best opportunity that that team has to win and be successful. So you have to be one of those rare guys I'm trying to think if there's any other quarterback that can claim they were coached by both the Bills, Parcells and Belichick. Well, I think, no, Vinny. Vinny would be the other one because Vinny played for uh, for Testaverde. Yeah, with, the Jets, with, with the Jets and the Cowboys. That's exactly and, right. And, and, well, and he also played, um, he also played for, uh, for Belichick in Cleveland, I think. Yep. Um, yep. You know, so, he's, so he's one other guy that shares uh, the, you know, the, the misery club with me of uh, being coached by those two guys. <laughs> but but, but it, it was, it, it is, it is and was interesting though. Cause, cause in between the two bills in New England, I had Pete Carroll 
so ended up in yeah. you know with with three coaches that'll that that uh you know will all be hall of famers um and it, man you talk about a contrast in styles you know you go from correct you, know, you go from the mafia don to pete carroll who i love pete to this day and love playing for him i think everybody loves playing for pete uh, but man, the media kind of chewed him up and spit him out because he was all positive energy and fun and, you know, all that stuff. And after coming off of Parcells, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they'd been beaten on by, you know, for so long by, uh, by Parcells that they couldn't wait to just go attack Pete and they just did not treat him very well. Um, and then went from that to, uh, to Belichick, who's, you know, famous for being, you know, probably the worst press conference ever. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think Popovich tries to be that way, but Popovich tries yeah. to act that way, but, but it's really funny the way it comes off with pop, you know, cause he just, he's, yeah. he's kind of sarcastic and you need, you watch it. And it's, and you kind of want to watch Popovich interviews where Belichick is just like, okay, well, yeah, this is, this is just, he's just not going to give anything. Well, my, my favorite thing is when people try to find creative ways to ask Belichick something that he doesn't want to talk about. And he just like sniffs it. I said, look, I, I told you I'm not going to talk about that. Like it's, right. there, there's, right. there's no chill in the way he's like, we're not doing that. We're just no. not doing that. No. So no. You know, the start of your career was actually pretty strong. I mean, you were the youngest player ever to make it to a Pro Bowl uh, at that time in the NFL. And you got to the Super Bowl, what, three, four years after, after you get in the league. So things are off and running for you. And then obviously comes the 2001 season. So why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the event that changed Drew's life, Tom's life, and the Patriots' life. We're here with uh, Drew Bledsoe on Half Forgotten History. You know, here on Half Forgotten History, I get to chat with the top players, coaches, and personalities that I've had the pleasure of connecting with through my two-plus decades of covering the game of football. But this football season, I'm also looking forward to something else, uh, to traveling and reconnecting with many of the guys I've talked about at the actual games. Yes, we can do that now. And when you travel with the U.S. Bank Altitude Connect Visa Signature Card, you'll also earn the most from it. So here's what you want to do. Hit the road and take it all in from points of interest to points back for how you travel. For example, you can earn four times points on travel and at gas stations. And if you book your prepaid hotel or car rental directly in the Altitude's Reward Center, you can earn five times points. Plus, as you know, you'll earn two times points on groceries, dining, and streaming services. And all other eligible purchases, yeah, you'll earn points on those too. So start earning more today and connect with 50,000 bonus points and a $500 value when you spend 3000 within the first 120 days of an account opening. Learn more at usbank.com slash altitude connect. The U.S. Bank Altitude Connect Visa Signature Card is issued by U.S. Bank National Association, N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Trey Wingo here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every out-of-market game all season long every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That is a lot of football. And guess what? This season you get more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in front of you, streamed to your favorite device. Just picture this scenario with me. You sit down, you put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks, and watch an insane amount of NFL football every Sunday afternoon. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. Now to see if you're eligible for this, make sure you go to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code WINGO2021 at checkout to get 15% off, exclusive discounts also available. 
Select international games excluded. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Compatible device required. Data charges may apply. All right, back with Drew Bledsoe. So as we said, you know, number one pick, things are going well. Young, youngest Pro Bowler ever, get to a Super Bowl. And then comes week two of the 2001 season, the Mo Lewis hit, uh, which by the way, and I didn't re- remember this at the time, and you corrected me, I forgotten how close you were to losing your life uh, after yeah. that hit. Take me through the play as you remember it. Yeah, well, we were driving, it was third down. And, you know, so I'm looking downfield while I start to scramble out to the to the right side. Well, I knew it was third down, and I wasn't going to run out of bounds short of the sticks. And so as I started to get close to the sticks, I turned back inside. And when I did, I just gave Mo the dream shot, just gave him my chest. And he was, you know, a 260-pound man at a dead at a dead sprint. So, he, yeah, he got me good. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing that I don't think people remember, I actually went back in the game. Uh, for the next the next series Um, and uh, uh, Mark Edwards who was our fullback he and Damon Heward were the ones that ratted me out Uh, but I'm on the field with uh, with with Mark and we had a check with me where I'm gonna go right or left I knew I needed to go left but I couldn't think of the word because I also had a pretty good concussion Um, and uh, so I turned to Mark and said hey Mark how do I go left he goes say odd odd okay odd odd we went left and then I went to the sidelines and I asked Heward uh, to go over the two-minute plays with me, which our two-minute plays had been the same plays for you know multiple years, uh, and there were only five of them. So it's the last thing I'm ever going to have to go over. And so those two went and, and uh, let them know that I wasn't all all uh, wasn't all there. Uh, and then I was heading off the field, and our uh, our trainer Ron O'Neill, who I you know thank to this day, um, he grabbed me. He goes, "Hey, Bub, why don't you come with me?" I'm like, "No, nah, I'm just going to go in for team prayer." And then I'll come. And he goes, "Nah, you don't look so good. Why don't you come with me?" And so we uh, we went in, and and by the time I got up to the, to the top of the tunnel, it, it, things had started to change. It was hurting pretty bad. My chest was hurting really bad, and just was. And uh, by the time I, I got up there, they uh, normally when you have a concussion, your heart rate starts to really slow down. But mine was spiking. Right. Mine was spiking, and that was their their clue that maybe something wasn't quite right. Um, so they ended up. I was in enough pain, and then they had to cut me out of my jersey and cut me out of my uniform. Uh, but threw me in the uh, threw me in the ambulance, and then uh, we were driving in. My brother jumped in the ambulance with me. Uh, we're driving into uh, to Mass General, and uh, my brother tells the story. I don't remember it, but we so we were just on the outskirts of Boston, and all of a sudden I just went lights out. Just and you know, so my brother thought I died in the ambulance. Um, so he he says he started yelling at the driver, "Hey, I don't care what you have to do, just get there." Uh, and then I woke up uh, woke up later with a, a tube in my chest that was pumping blood out of my uh, out of my chest and recirculating and cleaning it and putting it back into my body and I was like that for uh, six days before things started to reconcile so I could uh, so I could finally go home so yeah it was a scary deal and it was you know and it was and it was also it was I mean it was just kind of a lesson that I've talked to some docs that have that have used that as a as a uh, training mechanism because the hit looked bad. But it didn't look like I was going to die, you know. Right. Uh, and right. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it certainly would have been a penalty today. But we can talk about that later. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, yeah. no, they use that as a as a, a training exercise now. They're like, hey, look at this, and you have to make sure that you monitor things like this because if there's a situation where somebody has, I don't even remember the name for what it's called, where it's bleeding out internally. Um, you know, had they let me go home, which is sort of what I was asking for initially, um, things wouldn't have ended very well. Um, but, uh, thankfully they were on top of it and got me to the hospital. So, so what exactly was causing, was it like your rib cage had punctured your, I can't remember exactly yeah, what it was. Yeah, it was, it's, and so they, the way they described it was that I had a, like a cracked rib that then perforated, um, uh, the, a, a 
artery or a vein. I don't even know what's artery or vein in my in my in my chest cavity. But the way they described it, so think about the and the reason it wouldn't clot. They said, think about the Titanic where it was perforated, you know, a long way so it wouldn't clot. If right, it was just one way, spot, yeah. it would have it would have clotted and that would have been fine. But uh, because it was perforated like that, I was bleeding out pretty pretty quick. Um, so yeah, it was kind of it was kind of wow. gnarly and uh, uh, but it reconciled and that was good. But unfortunately. You know, while I'm convalescing <laughs> and trying to get healthy, this skinny kid from Michigan, uh, you know, the team starts <laughs> rallying around him and this and all of a sudden this kid's playing pretty good and the team's winning. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I sort of had an inkling and I finally got cleared to play. And I remember like the moment that I knew that this wasn't going to go the way I wanted to. I was on the way back from the hospital after getting cleared. And I called Belichick. I'm like, hey, just want to let you know, I got clearance. I'm good. And uh, his response was sort of like quiet, kind of lukewarm. I was expecting like, oh, great. Yeah, we'll get you back out there. And instead he was yeah. like, he's like, oh, well, good. I'm glad you're doing better. We'll see you when you get back. I'm like, oh, shit, that didn't sound very good. Uh, um, and then, uh, and then uh, you know, I made the decision to stick with Tommy, which obviously was a huge mistake because he went on to be nobody. Um, and, uh, never, <laughs> never had any success from that moment on. Um, but it was hard, man. I gotta be honest. It was hard. I was the, you know, yeah. I was the franchise guy. I'd been the, the face yeah. of the organization for most of a decade. And, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, my job's not there anymore. And, uh, you know, that was a bitter pill to swallow, you know, sort of, uh, I can go kind of the first time I got fired, you know, and I just, I'd never been fired before, you know? And, and, uh, so did some soul searching and trying to figure out what what uh, what it was going to look like, and uh, um, then made the decision. And, and and Tom honestly made it easier because I had such respect for the guy and always still do, and 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 liked him at the time. I was proud of him. Um, my I didn't remember this, but apparently I told my mom like, "Hey, this is going to be really cool for Tom because he's actually going to get to play, and I think people are going to get to see that he's that he's actually a, a really good player." Um, I don't know. I think my mom was kind of painting. You were a right. Better, better, better light. Yeah. It turns out he was all right, you know, uh, but it was, you know, it was hard, but, uh, but I stuck with it and, you know, supported him. And then he was yeah. kind enough to at least sprain his ankle in the AFC championship game. So I could play a little bit. You had the only offensive touchdown in that game uh, yeah, to David yeah. Patton. Yeah, it was David a kick Patton. return and something else in that yeah, game. It was like a kick return yeah. and a block field goal. I think that, yeah. So it was, uh, um, but you know, it was nice of him to at least let me get on the field for a second. Um, but of course then they, then they, you know, yank the rug out from under me again and tom gets to play in the super bowl like okay well she's yeah, i guess we're yeah i do remember though the week when they said we're going with tom i i remember someone asked you and i'll, I'll never forget this as long as i live first of all you could see how frustrated and angry you were in your eyes and you and you the only thing you said was i look forward to the opportunity to get my job back i mean i i, I i'll never forget that because it, it was clearly those were the words you wanted to put out there, that this is my job and I'm going to get it back. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to compete for it. But, you know, I mean, it's a, it's sort of one of those things that you look back at your, your life and we all face adversity. And, you know, and I always have stood by this forever. Um, nobody should ever feel sorry for a professional athlete. I mean, come on, dude. Yeah. You know, get to play a game for a living. You know, there's no pity parties for, for a professional athlete. Um, that, that doesn't make it easy. Um, but, um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, what came out of that was I got a, I got a chance to go play in Buffalo, which right. everybody thinks, you know, and you know this, but everybody thinks when you go to Buffalo, you're in exile, you've been exiled to the tundra, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, but when I got there, you know, man, I, I, I loved it, man. I lo it was like playing pro ball in a college town. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, plus we're plus we were a little older. We didn't need the big city. Uh, but I love playing in Buffalo, except for the weather. The weather was awful. Yeah. But um, that's why uh, that's why this. So this last year, Josh Allen finally took down my single season passing record. And I've said this in jest. There actually were a couple of people that got pissed. I put this out like on a tweet congratulating you know Josh on the record. But I was I was jokingly saying you know that record needs to have an asterisk beside it because uh, I watched all of their games. It's November. It was like 70 degrees with no wind. I'm like, dude, come on. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're in Buffalo. You're supposed yeah, to be trying Buffalo. to, you're supposed to be trying to, you know, throw the ball through the wind and snow in November. Um, but I was obviously really, really happy for the kid, but, it, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. We actually should have played more snow games. I never lost a snow game. Yeah. We need more sarcasm fonts on Twitter. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but you it's interesting. It's interesting though because you got traded within your division, and as a quarterback, that's very rare. Like Donovan McNabb was traded from Philadelphia to the Venn Redskins, now the Washington Football Team. When you found out you were traded within the division, what was the first thing that went through your mind? Well, first of all, you know, and you know, obviously, I would completely take this back, and everybody recognizes that, you know, now. But it's and and thankfully, Jim Kelly had stepped in his shit before I did, saying, you know, yeah. that he would never go play in Buffalo because he wanted to be in Houston. Right. Now he lives there and he made it his home. Um, but I remember saying, like, there were two places I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to uh, I didn't want to go to Cincinnati, and I didn't want to go to Buffalo. Um, and uh, so when I first heard, I was like, oh man, I, this is this is really not where we, where we want to be. Um, I wasn't really even thinking much about the the interdivision stuff. Um, it was just, man, I don't want to go play in the freezing cold in Buffalo, and you know, with all these fans that throw snowballs and you know hot dogs at us when we're on the bus, and you know all of that stuff. And then, uh, but once I got there, man, I, I fell in love with the place very very quickly, and and um, you know still have great affection, uh, you know, for the Bills and for their fans. It does feel like a college town more than an NFL town with the passion they have for the team, and it's nice to see them finally having a ton of success. But as you said, after that, you go back and join Bill Parcells in Dallas. What was the sales pitch for him to get you to Dallas? Well, you know, if you remember when uh, when when I first got there, first of all, we had a heck of an offensive line when I first Absolutely. got there. You know, and uh, um, and then we had uh, had Terry Glenn down there, had Jason Witten, who I didn't know was that special at the time, but quickly learned. Uh, got to play with Keyshawn, which um, you know, playing with Keyshawn from the outside, you think is going to be a real pain in the ass. But when you're actually his teammate, you discover that he's a remarkably tough competitor that will block, that will go across the middle to do all the things that you have to do. So, I, um, and we were kind of lighting it on fire there for a little bit. Um, you know, I think it took Romo a few years before he took that first year of mine off the record. But then when we, uh, when we started offensive linemen started dropping like flies and all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't what it wasn't what it was supposed to be. But, uh, um, you know, initially it was good. And then, uh, you know, and then it kind of went sideways and, and, uh, that's when I got to make the decision to, uh, uh, move on to the uh, next phase in life. We'd already kind of started planning for a wine biz and uh, could have gone and chased it, could have uh, bounced around a little bit more and certainly could have uh, kept playing for a long time. But at that point, I was really ready to, uh, to go see what was next. And, uh, um, and it's been a good ride. Yeah, we'll get to the wine uh, after the next break. But I'll never, I'll never forget, it was a Monday night game against the Giants. Mm-hmm. And... The Cowboys came out after the half, and that's when they went with Romo. And like the expression on your face was was how everyone would feel because only one quarterback can play. And I think you knew right away that this might be the beginning of what happened 
in New England with Tom on some level, right? Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, and Parcells said after the fact that he had sort of planned on doing that, you know, which that was that was disheartening to hear, um, you know, that uh, um, that that had been sort of in the plan from the beginning, which that that's that's really I just that's that's um, that was sort of the, the, Sucks. the yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's like that's just not how you're supposed to treat your quarterback. You know, if, you, if you're going to if you're going to do it, then just do it at the start of the season. Don't wait till the middle of a Monday night game right. and, and, and do that. Um, you know, so that was disheartening, but I think that was sort of, you know, I knew that, you know, for me, I'd already started planning for this next phase. It was, you know, if if everything had gone perfectly, it was going to be in maybe another year or two, but it wasn't going to be another five. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was ready to see what was, what was next that was out there. Uh, but that just kind of accelerated that thought process. Like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's, let's, uh, let's get this season done. And, um, and, uh, once this is over, um, you know, it's time to, uh, Time to go back. Time to go to go see what's next and what's out there. But I will tell you this, you know, and, and I don't ever want anybody to think that that means that there was any bitterness about my career. Um, you know, I remember so distinctly that last year, um, really recognizing how special it was what I got to do. And it got to a point I, I would, when we were walking down the tunnel before a game, I would always like look around and I would find a rookie as we're walking down the tunnel. I grab him by the back of the pads and like, dude how cool is this? We get to do this. This is our job. Right. And they'd look at me like, you know, first of all, I'm an old man uh, to them at, you know, at 35, but they would look at me like, man, what's you crazy? What's going on? I think, no, this is really, really cool, man. This is what we dreamed about since we were little kids. Uh, And I got to do that for 14 years, man. And I cherished every single moment of it. Do you take any solace that both the guys that sort of replaced you did really well i mean like to me romo is gonna he'll never get the credit he deserves because the team didn't have the success but he was tough he was so good he was great at comebacks and obviously brady is brady yeah. is there anything of you that says hey, listen if i had to be replaced at least it was by those guys no man i get pissed i taught him too well you know like i, I mean i should have <laughs> i should have i should have held back more information man i wasn't uh i wasn't afraid of these guys so i told him everything and uh uh you know, and both of those guys um, um, were absolute sponges. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember Tommy, the first year he was there, he was on practice squad. And he was literally in my hip pocket all the time, asking me why I made that decision. Why did I throw there? Why did, you know, what did, you know, what did I see? How was I thinking about things? And Roma was the same way. And he'd had Vinny uh, a couple of years before that. So he had, you know, this, you know, what, 30 something years of experience to learn from. Uh, and he took advantage of it. He really did learn. And, you know, obviously he's doing a great job calling games now. So he's, uh, you know, he's always been a, a student of the game, but he had some really good teachers and we were both very, um, open in sharing information and, uh, um, both those guys took advantage of it and they learned. And, uh, so, you know, I, uh, I, if, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for both of them. Um, and I think they both, um, they both owe me many millions of dollars because I taught them how to do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so they, Fi- so they, finder's they, fee, man. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, at least Tommy buys some wine now. He, he was trying to get free wine at one point and they're like, no, dude, no, come on, man. Full, come reta- on. full retail, bro. Full retail. Um, you make, you make a gajillion dollars. Let's go. Yeah. Come on, dude. I'm not sending you free wine. You, uh, yeah. but the funny story with Tom though, was that, uh, for a long time in Massachusetts, you couldn't ship wine to Massachusetts. So he would ship the wine yeah. to his dad in California, and his dad would drink all the wine. Um, so he actually had these <laughs> had these uh, had these bottles, and he would show up uh, to come home, and uh, all the bottles are empty because his dad had already taken it all down. 
is it strange? Because you're 49, right? 49, and Tom yeah. is 43. He'll be 44 in August. Like, you guys are essentially the same age. How, how strange is it that not only he's still playing, he still wants to play? Because like, that's a large part of it for a lot of people who've done this for so long. He still has the, the desire to go out there and do it. And the fact that he's doing it still at such a high level. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's the thing. When people when people, you know, look at what Tom has done, you know, being a pocket passer is not physically strenuous. You know, right. it's not like, you know, he's playing linebacker like, you know, Clay Matthews, the the see Clay Matthews, the older one who played 20 years right. as an NFL linebacker and his brother played like 18 as an offensive lineman. Bruce. You know, yeah, you know, yeah Bruce never missed a game except for two strikes. Yeah, exactly, right? And and um so from a physically strenuous, you know, and Tom takes really good care of himself. It's he's annoying with all that bullshit, but, but, uh, but he, uh, but, but, but he, uh, um, but the, the more, the more impressive part is that in order to play at that high level, you have to be so meticulous about everything that you do. Um, you have to pay attention to every rep, every last detail, you know, and after 20 years, you know, I mean, you know, there's a tendency like, okay, you know, I already know how to do this. You know, I can take a few reps off. I can, you know, you know, skip this mini camp or do, you know, um, but Tom still has the desire to continue to try to be great at it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, then when you see what, what happens, you know, when he's that guy for an organization and he's Tom Brady, one of the most famous, you know, athletes in the entire world. Um, and he's still the first guy in last guy out. Um, he's still doing all of this stuff, man. It removes any possible excuse for anybody in the organization, uh, to take yeah. a day off. Um, and, um, so, you know, it is, it's, it's amazing that he still wants to do that and still has the desire to keep doing it. Um, I, you know, honestly, I kind of think he needs a hobby, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> but, but but no, he, he uh, it's really, really impressive to watch um, the way that he continues to uh, lead, prepare, and, and play at such a high level. Uh, enough of this Tom Brady bullshit. When we come back, we'll talk about the real reason we have Drew Bledsoe on. Wine, baby. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Starbucks Triple Shot Energy Extra Strength Coffee Beverage in a Can. That Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink, offered in classic flavors, and now in zero sugar. They have four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and caramel, and now also offering two zero-sugar flavors, black and vanilla. Both are zero-sugar and dairy-free. What gives you your energy? Find your Starbucks Triple Shot Energy online or at your local store. The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly. No matter what, take advantage of this limited-time offer right now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same-game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WINGO to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 1 game. That's promo code WINGO to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 
Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, back with Drew Bledsoe. So now let's get to the crux of the matter. The good stuff, the wine, your double back cab from the Drew Bledsoe Winery. You, you said you had been planning this before you know, you were retired. How long ago did you know you wanted to get into winemaking? You know, it was kind of funny, you know, so I grew up in Walla Walla, this little tiny little town, middle of nowhere. Right. Had a funny name. And, but while I was playing, you know, like a lot of guys, we started to get into wine. And uh, so I was like buying, you know, all these wines from all over the world. And, but I'd have guys come over the house. And so when they came over, I'd say, hey, just bring a bottle of red wine. So they would bring something from Napa or something from Bordeaux or you know, some guys would even get a little more adventurous, go to like Argentina or whatever. And we would come do blind tastings at the house. We'd line them all up, put them in paper bags, and we would taste them to see what we liked the best. Well, I would go grab something from my little hometown and put it in the mix just to see how we're doing. Well, every time we did that, you know, my hometown wine would win. Um, and, you know, so this is like kind of, I don't know, late 90s. Um, and so that's when I was kind of like, okay, wait a second. You know, my hometown where I grew up is putting out some of the best wines in the world. You know, maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, when I'm done with this thing, could go back home and start a wine business, uh, but not just make wine, actually really try to make wine that can compete on a world stage. Uh, so it was a confluence of all of those things. We liked wine. I knew I needed another career right. and my hometown was kicking ass. And so it really, uh, really kind of became an, an obvious thing for me. Um, but we had started planning probably in 2003. We bought our, I think it was that when I was still in Buffalo, we bought our first piece of vineyard ground um and had started to lay the groundwork for what we were going to do and um and so when i made the decision to to hang up the cleats it wasn't necessarily that i didn't want to play football anymore it was all right i'm ready to go start this next thing i want to go i want to go see what's around the next corner and uh man it's been a cool ride it's really been a cool ride you know there's a lot of comparisons i think to to football and winemaking in the sense that you can't half-ass it right like if you try and half-ass it you'll get booted out of the league or you get your ass kicked and winery and winemaking is not something you can just sort of dabble in. You, you have to go all in for the product to be any good. You do. And it's, it's, uh, there are so many parallels, but, but one of them is just, is just that, you know, first of all, people have asked me, so how do you replace the competitiveness from, you know, playing NFL football? I'm like, well, I left football and I went into the most competitive industry in the world. By product skew, it's the most competitive. It's <laughs> true. There are 50,000 unique bottles of wine made worldwide every year. Um, and so if you want to stand out from that crowd, man, you got to be different. You got to be special. Uh, and also the other, the other part that from that standpoint, you can, you can't be complacent because much like, you know, professional sports, there's always somebody nipping at your heels. There's always somebody that wants to, to take you, uh, and, and replace you. And there's so much competitiveness for it. Uh, and the cool thing is now we, we've got a team, uh, that we put together. It's a rock star team at the winery. And they're almost all athletes, and they all get that. Uh, they all get the competitiveness uh, that goes into trying to be great at something, and and uh, uh, that part of it has been really, really cool. You know, it, it's it's interesting because I, I I always ask this question for people that really like wine. Have you seen? I'm sure you've seen the movie Sideways, right? Of course. Is that an in your mind? Is that an accurate sort of d description of how passionate people can be about wine? Yeah. And, it, you know, and it can get over the top. I mean, people can get so dorky yeah. with the stuff, you know, ultimately, you know, we are trying to truly make, you know, great, great wine. But at the end of the day, we're pretty selfish. We make wines we like. And then if people agree with what yeah. we like, then they're going to like the wine. If they want a different style, there's plenty of other wines, you know, that way. Um, 
but the uh, the funny thing with the movie Sideways though was that um, you know they crushed and I mean there's never been a movie that crushed a market segment like that movie crushed Merlot, right? All of a sudden Merlot yes. was 100. We're not drinking not, any fucking Merlot. Exactly yes. right. And so all of a sudden anybody that anybody that was kind of even a, uh, an amateur you know wine geek you know all of a yeah. sudden well Merlot wasn't cool anymore. Um, but the funny thing is yeah. that the end of bottle that he was saving to the very end was actually primarily Merlot, which is pretty funny. Um, but, um, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a really cool industry. The biggest difference, well, there's two major differences. One, one is, um, you know, if I made a decision as a quarterback, I knew instantly whether it was a good or bad decision. You know, if my guy caught the ball, good decision. Right. If their guy catches the ball, it's a bad decision. And why? And sometimes it's a decade before, you know, um, you know, the, the impact of a decision that you make. Uh, the other thing is, you know, when I was in, in, in ball, uh, in order for me to win, um, my opponent or my competitor had to lose. And I wanted them to lose really bad, especially if it was the Jets. I wanted them to lose really, really bad, and I never <laughs> wanted them to ever win another game. Well, good news, uh, they, they mostly obliged you yeah. then, so that's good. <laughs> that's the truth. But in, in wine, if my neighbor makes better wine, it's good for my business. And so, yeah. you, know, it, you know, if the neighbor's around us, and so there's a great open sharing of information where we're trying all of us collectively to compete to, to, to be great. Uh, and, that's, and that's a fun kind of competition where you're all collectively trying to see how good you can be. Um, and your competitor, your next door neighbor doesn't have to lose in order for you to win. So that part's been pretty fun. So you, you've now been in this wine business for almost 20 years. You were in football for a long, long time. You have a Super Bowl ring. At this point, what would mean more to you in the Drew Bledsoe scheme of life? Uh, winning uh, the, the medal, whatever it is, for the best wine of the year or that Super Bowl ring? What would mean more? Well, I mean, it's all about what you're doing now, right? You know, I mean, I... I, I uh... I, uh, I very consciously made the, uh, made the decision. I didn't want to go into commentary. I didn't want to, uh, and, and, you know, and God bless my buddies that have gone and done it. And they're, and, you know, and they're, they're, they're great at it. You know, Troy's one of the all time best, you know, Tony's doing an amazing job doing it, but that was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to start over from scratch, um, and see if we could build something both literally and figuratively from the ground up. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's what we've done. And, uh, and we're still growing and changing and evolving. You know, it's not static. We're, uh, you know, and it's so multifaceted. So uh, it's a long answer to a short question. Um, you know, continuing to, uh, to grow this wine business and do it in a sustainable way where, you know, we take care of the earth, we take care of uh, the environment where we grow grapes. Uh, and we also take great care of our people. You know, we've got a farming crew, we pay them better than anybody else. And, and uh, they've got retirement benefits and health benefits. And, you know, by building a sustainable business, we can continue to do that. And that's, you know, and at the end of the day, we get to have a beverage we really like, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's something that I still after after all these years, like I'm actually more passionate about this now uh, than I was when we started. And uh, and that's really exciting. You know, I really when we took it on, I mm -hmm. felt like it was something I could learn about for the rest of my life. And uh, and it certainly has been that. That certainly sounds like that line from Virginia Madsen in Sideways, where she talks about the wine. You know, I like the fact that if I opened it today, it would be completely different than had I opened it a week ago or two days from now. You know, so uh, I'm absolutely getting the wine sense. I would, I would cheers you, but I don't have any double back to put in my glass. So, well, there's a really easy way to solve that. You go to doubleback.com and you put your visa in the little window there with your address <laughs> and that wine will magically show up on your doorstep. You know, you're right there with Brady, man. Full retail, bro.
full retail, just like my brother pays yeah, full I, retail. I was, I was about to say, if you're not giving them to Brady, I don't think I was getting any, but you know, <laughs> shoot or shoot, man. You had to yeah. ask. But anyway, hey, listen, this this has been a blast. I appreciate you joining and appreciate you sharing the journey. And I you know, people are really appreciative of the stories that, you know, I know and you know, and maybe they heard about a little bit and didn't remember, but this kind of stuff, I, I think uh, they really enjoy. So thanks for being with us, my friend. Right on, Trey. Always a pleasure, bud. So once again, thanks to Drew Bledsoe. And by the way, I should tell you, yes, I did go on the website at Doubleback Winery and used my credit card to purchase some fabulous Doubleback wine, and 